hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome. It's great to see you today. We're so glad that you're here. And if you've been with us recently, you know we are working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a message that it likely took Jesus around 14 minutes to preach. Uh, It's going to take us probably six months to get through it. I do know, not sure what that says about us or me. You know, every week I leave, whether I speak or one of the other pastors, and it takes me a long time to process what Jesus is speaking about, you know, based upon that message. And I I don't even... It's like I get very far down that road, and here we are again with another portion of the message. So, obviously, those people in the first century, uh, head and shoulders above me in many ways. And so, but we'll get through it. But we're in no hurry to get through this amazing message. And uh, we are launching into chapter 6 this weekend with a message about taking heed. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be blessed with a check engine light coming on your dashboard. Anybody been blessed with one of those? Sure, you've, you've likely had that blessing, and it's the favor of the Lord on your life. And I don't know about you, but when this beautiful thing comes on my dashboard, my, all of a sudden my prayer life increases. I begin to pray and fast and ask the Lord to intervene and... And I'm thinking about, you know, there's been times where it's come on. You're like, wait a second, that can't be right. So I turn my vehicle off and turn it back on, thinking, well, the Lord's going to take care of this, right? And there it is again. And it, it, this pesky thing will just will not go away. I laid hands on it, and sometimes I'll just put a piece of tape over it so I don't have to deal with it. And <laughs> that's. But if you think about that, there's a message there, and, and, and quite frankly, I generally just ignore it and hope the thing runs another week, you know. But there's a message with that, right? There's a reason that it happens, it comes on, and, and, and when, you, when you see that light, you know full well, I, I probably should look into this. But sometimes we just ignore it, knowing, knowing full well that down the road it's going to cost me more, it's going to be more of a hassle. This is a little bit of what we see in Matthew Six. There's a little bit of what we would call a spiritual check engine light that begins to flash within the message that Jesus is sharing with the hearers there on the Sermon on the Mount. So as before we dive in, I want to pray over you this morning. Father, we thank you for the chance to be together. Oh, we invite the Holy Spirit into the space to teach, to convict, to exhort, to encourage, to bring fresh insight into the Word of God. May we, as the people who hear this message, open our ears to be receptive, bind the work of the enemy, free the work of the Spirit, and we ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus begins there in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, beware. And boy, that alone should cause us to, to lean in. When Jesus says, beware, or take heed, or pay attention, we're like, okay, I need to, I need to lean in. And, and notice what he says. He says, I want you to beware of practicing your righteousness before others. 
And be aware of that, be cautious in that, in order to be seen by them. For then you have have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he begins with this idea of, of a warning, of a, of a check engine light. Take heed, be aware, pay attention. Not to practice your righteousness before others to be seen by them. Not that we would do that. For as a result, you will have no reward. William Barclay gives us further insight into this idea of what he means by your righteousness. Barclay suggests that uh, to the Jews, to those who were hearing the message, almsgiving, giving to the poor, was quite frankly the most sacred of all religious duties. We see it throughout the scriptures. We see it as an important part of the Old Testament work of Christ. So, for example, the book of Ruth, you see they're commanded to leave the edges of the field for, for gleaning purposes to serve those in need. And so when we begin to think about this idea of righteousness, Barclay points out that, that righteousness, this idea is it was so sacred that, that almsgiving, which is giving to the poor, and righteousness were actually one and the same. It is actually the same Hebrew word. They are that intertwined. They are that important. This word, zadaka is the same word to give an alms or to give to the poor as it is to be righteous. They are that intertwined in the scripture. To give alms to those who are hearing the message, to, to give to the poor, to give charity, was to gain merit or favor in the sight of God. So they would give, so to speak, and a part of that giving was to gain merit in the sight of God. And, and some would even take it so far as, as a, not only to, to receive merit, but also to receive atonement. Some believed it was a way that sins, present and future, could be forgiven if they gave to the poor. So that's the element of righteous he's talking about. Now, the Scripture says that there is none righteous. No, not one. I mean, none righteous. And that is in our relationship to God the Father. But as human beings, we know that there are elements of righteousness in our lives that are apart from a godly righteousness. We might call that self-righteous. Right? We have these elements of self-righteous in our lives, and self-righteous is something that we try to attain, that it's usually uh, done with outward acts, and it's often people-pleasing. There's a self-righteous element to our lives, whereas there's a godly righteousness that we see in the Scripture, and that is a righteousness that is obtained, we might say imputed. It has to do with inward character, and it is God-pleasing. Think about righteousness as we move into the New Testament. The, 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 the Greek word here has this idea of the, of, of the state or the condition of a person as they ought to be before God. Now, let that resonate a little bit. Righteousness is the state, the condition of a person as they ought to be before God. Highly relational, highly relational. But to understand righteousness, you've got to understand justification. Now, Pastor Ron last week, so aptly, this is one of his favorite terms, right? What does this mean to be justified? It's just if I had never sinned. So to understand righteousness, you've got to have some understanding of justification. Justification is the rendering or the declaring of a person righteous. That justification is based upon the redemptive, sacrificial work of Christ on Calvary's cross. It is his shed blood on that cross that gives us the right to become the sons and the daughters of God. 
And to get there, it isn't anything we can do. It's only based upon the sacrificial work of Christ. In that moment, when a person repents and receives Christ, humbly receives Jesus, at that moment, you are justified. It's actually a first century legal term to be right with the court. You are justified, and that justification is a rendering, a declaration, and then there is a transfer, there is a transfer of righteousness from one to another. So to understand righteousness, you got to have some idea of justification. Now, for years, theologians have called this puted righteousness. This comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where the scripture says, And because of him, speaking of God the Father, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, when we hear the imputation of righteousness, we often think of 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So this imputed righteousness, this idea, uh, Miller J. Erickson, he is a, he's a, a, a contemporary theologian. He was actually one of my professors at seminary for about, I think it was around three months, he was one of my professors in theology. Uh, Erickson kind of has this idea that this imputed righteousness is much more than just a transaction of the righteousness of Christ into the spiritual account of the believer, right? He says, he, he takes it further than that. He says, and it is that. Erickson argues that it's more of a relational element in this righteousness. In other words, because of the believer's deep relationship with Jesus Christ, we see it right there in, in 1 Corinthians 1, talks about being in Christ. Because of this deep-seated, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, we now receive his imputed righteousness into our lives. It's not that Jesus just imputes his righteousness as a transaction, and it is that, but more importantly, he gives us all of himself. And Erickson argues this. It's a, it's a fascinating paradigm to think how he thinks about Christ giving us all of himself to us. And as a result of Jesus giving all of himself to us, when God sees us, he actually sees his son. He actually sees Jesus. Now, this is a fascinating idea. Let me give you a bad example. Are you ready? You're going to say, that was a terrible example. But you've been forewarned. All right. Let's say that I, I call Jim. Jim's a, he's a buddy of mine. And I call Jim. And I'm like, all right, Jim. I'm up against it, man. I'm in a pickle. I need a 1000 bucks." And Jim's like, okay, I'm a little busy right now. Uh, can I wire you the money? Well, of course you can wire me $1,000. And Jim's like, all right, send me your information. Send me the, the, the information to wire the money, and I'll get to it this afternoon. I'm like, okay, so I send Jim the information, my account, and a few hours later, voila, there's $1,000 from Jim. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> or there's another way to go about this, right? I call Jim. I'm like, hey, Jim, I'm in a little bit of a bind. I'm in a pickle. And uh, he's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I, I could use $1,000. He's like, okay, uh, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm up here at the church. He's like, okay, hang on, I'll be right there. So Jim drops everything that he's doing. He comes by the church. He picks me up. He puts us, and we get in his blue Toyota pickup, and we head to the bank. And we get to the bank, and when I get to the bank, I, Jim's going to deposit the money. But, but, I, but I have Jim, right? And so I have 
I have the giver with me. There's a relationship now with Jim. He just didn't make a transaction to deposit the money in the account. He's actually with me. And so now I just, I get the money, but I get more than that. I get everything that Jim knows. I get his wisdom. I give his grace. I get his love. I may get his scolding for bad, not handling money right. Who knows? But I get all of Jim, and who knows? He may even throw in lunch. Is that cool, Jim? Okay. He's going to toss in lunch. So I get all of him. I go to the bank, right? And, and now it's more than, oh, they just, he just deposited a thousand bucks. Man, Jim's there with me. And all of his financial wherewithal, it's sitting there. We're there together. So I have everything that Jim has, so to speak, with me because of a relationship. It's what Erickson is somewhat arguing in this idea of imputated righteousness. Yes, it is a transaction, but it's more than that. You get all of Jesus. You get all of him. Everything, his love, his grace, his wisdom, his discernment, his forgiveness. You get all of Jesus. And when the Father sees you and I, he sees his sinless son. Now, that is an exciting thing. So when Jesus is talking about righteousness here, he's talking about this element, this aspect that we, we have been imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's go on to verse 2 of Matthew chapter 6. Notice what Jesus says. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. The Greek translation of that is don't post it on social media. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. My, my, my. Look at those words, friends. Thus, when you give to the needy. The gall of Jesus to make an assumption that kingdom citizens actually give to the poor. They give to the needy. You see the assumption? He makes three assumptions in Matthew chapter 6, that kingdom citizens, believers, that we give, that we pray, and that we fast. Three assumptions about your life, if you're a believer, that Jesus has already made, that you are already giving to the needy. You're already compassionately serving those in need who are in your world, in your relational influences. Then he says, when you do, sound no trumpet. Don't make a big deal of it. Just do it, man. A couple ideas here that are important maybe to understand. And there's a little bit of speculation with this, but this could be what Jesus is referring to. When he says, sound no trumpet, there was a custom in the ancient East that, that when, uh, 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 I'll just use when a word, the, word, the, the word beggar here, when a beggar would receive or ask for alms. By alms, I mean charitable giving. When a beggar would do that, and, and someone actually gave the beggar money, alms, that the beggar himself had the trumpet, not the one who gave. And as he received that, it is believed, it's possible that the beggar then would blow the trumpet. You ready? Oh, there's more where that came from. <laughs> Folks, a little grace. It's an Amazon special. I'm not a trumpet player, as you now well know. Can I make the point? Is that okay? Can I make my point? So as the, as the real trumpet blew and made, you know, a trumpet makes a, a rich sound. What would happen, some believe, is that 
Nobody's paying attention to the beggar, even though he's blowing the trumpet. They're actually looking at the one who gave the gift to the beggar. So you might have given a gift to the beggar, and you're like, you're going to blow it or not? Or like, oh, yeah, let me blow this thing. And you're like, it's what I do. Jesus is like, no. That's not how this works. This, we're not practicing our righteousness that way. Uh, another option could be that we see this actually in Matthew chapter 12, 41 to 44, where the scripture records that Jesus is in the treasury of the temple, and he's watching people give money. I want that to land on you just for a second. He's watching people give money. And now in, in, the, in, in the temple, there were kind of three areas here that, that contained three courts, and one of these was called the court of, of the women. It's the highlighted area here. It says it's the women's court. And it's believed that this is where Jesus is sitting. It's also known as the treasury. And he, he's watching people give. Now, in the women's court, uh, there were 13 giving containers, giving boxes, giving chests, if you will. Those giving chests are often referred to as trumpets. They are referred to as trumpets because those giving chests were shaped somewhat like a trumpet, kind of thin at the top and at the bottom. It, w- it would look like a trumpet at the bottom. And, and, and some believe that that's what Jesus is referring to because they were called trumpets. And, and he says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, is like sound no trumpet. So these 13 chests, a portion of these 13 chests were specifically for charitable giving. They were giving for the people in needs. Now, some of the trumpets or some of these chests, they were also for taxation of the temple. So it could be that Jesus is making a reference to the women's court and these chests that people, these 13 chests that people are giving into. We know in the passage that Jesus says there is a, a, a widow, a poor woman. She has two coins. Those two coins do not even equal one cent, the scripture says. And so she takes those coins as Jesus is paying attention, and she throws the coins in. It is believed that as people would throw coins in to the chest or the trumpet, it had the capacity to make a sound like a trumpet. Now, two coins going in doesn't make much of an impression. Would you agree? So when she throws the two coins in, and whether it's one at a time or two at a time, nobody's paying attention. But then others would come into the temple. They had prepared for this moment for some while, and as they came into the temple, they wanted to make sure they were heard. They wanted to make sure that as they gave, maybe practicing their righteousness before others, that it was heard. My, how some things don't change. So it could be this is what Jesus is referring to. He's essentially saying, this is not how you go about this. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't be like the, he calls them hypocrites. He's speaking of scribes and Pharisees. Don't be like those guys. But wait a minute. In Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. And when the people heard that, they had to be, oh, what? How can my righteousness possibly exceed that of a Pharisee and that of a scribe? The only way of an exceeding righteousness The only way is not something that I act out, but it's someone who I receive and his name is Jesus. That's the only way. Our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And Jesus is, there's a warning sign here. There's a flashing light when he talks about this. Stop promoting. He says, don't promote yourself that way. You're not promoting God. You're only promoting self. What's the motive? As I give to others. Jesus goes on to say, well, they, they, they get a reward. They're going to be rewarded. It's the praise of man. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, they're going to get rewarded. And it's just the praise of other people. Notice what he says in verse 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, good grief, there it is again. (laughs) What's all the assumptions? But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. There's the promise. God sees, God rewards so that our giving should be secret. There should be this anonymous element to our giving. Why? Because God sees, God rewards. God sees, God rewards. The promise of Jesus, Matthew 6, 38, the scripture says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. There's the promise. I want to kind of end our time with just some takeaways here. And I think the first would be, if you took a a hard look at your life spiritually, is there a check engine light flashing anywhere? I mean, is there something like, is there a flashing? Is there something in your life that the Spirit has brought to your attention? There's something that if you've engaged the Word of God, if you've engaged the Word of God, that the Word of God brought to your mind, to your heart, and there's this spiritual flashing check engine light. That, that indicates we need a godly diagnostic test, right? You know, they use a code reader, a code reader to figure out what's going on with the check engine light. The code reader of, of, of God is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God. There's something flashing. If there's something convicting, if there's something in your life right now, just just take a moment and just look. We're here together. Just look and say, God, reveal in my life where I need to take heed. I need to pay attention. I need to watch out. Just reveal that to me. And as God reveals that to us, we can either, right, put a piece of tape over it, spiritual tape. We can't ignore it, knowing that down the road, whatever it is, whatever God's working with me in my life, it's going to come to fruition at some point down the road, right? Or you can do something about it. You can actually tend to your own spiritual life through prayer and fasting and forgiveness and repentance and those types of things. So let me just ask you the first question is, have you been declared righteous by God? Have you been declared that? You're like, oh, pastor, I I attend here quite often, and we're glad you do. But have you been declared righteous by God? Have you come to a place in your life where you have, you, you've repented of your sin and you've come to, to, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you, you crawl to that cross knowing it's the only hope that you have? There's another hope in ourselves. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Father. Jesus is our only hope. It is His redemptive work, His shed blood, His sacrifice, the propitiation of His sin. On that cross and that resurrection on the third day, he is our only hope. And if anybody, including yourself, 
has declared you righteous before the Father, outside of the Father himself, you better take a hard look at your life and just say, Father, where am I? Have you declared me righteous? Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Amen but that which comes through faith in Christ, this righteousness from God, that depends on faith. Oh, if you've never crossed the line of faith, said yes to Jesus, come to the Father, been justified, declared righteous, that transfer has happened, I invite you to do that today. Just do it today. Oh, say, you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm going to wait till next weekend. Don't wait. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Say yes to this Jesus. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but let me just ask you, how do you measure your righteousness? We all kind of do it. Let's just be honest, right? We all kind of do it. Even those of us who consider ourselves, you know, believers and followers of Jesus, and sometimes we do measure by outward acts, right? And there's an element, there's a weird element to that. Jesus says, right, Sermon on the Mount, let your good deeds be seen so that others may praise the Father in heaven. But boy, that's a slippery slope. That's a fine line. And so how do you measure that? You say, well, it's not an easy thing to measure. But is it measured by outward acts, religious acts, or is it measured by an embracing of the imputed life of Christ that's already in you? I would ask you to give that some thought. Last question to this. Are you putting your righteousness into action by giving to the needy? How are you giving to the poor? How are you giving to the needy? What does that look like in your life? In what area are you engaged in that? And, 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 and what's the, the compassion that you are exhibiting to those around you who are hurting? You know, contextually, Jesus is speaking specifically about giving of alms, money. But there are other ways that we can serve those around us who are hurting and in need. You know, maybe it's our time, it's, our, it's wisdom, it's encouragement, it's a skill that you have. You can serve people in need in many ways. Now, contextually, he's specifically speaking about the giving of charity. And, and when I ask that question, I have to answer the question myself. How am I giving? You know what my answer sometimes can be? Well, I would give, but I know they're going to take advantage of me. You ever said that? You're like, oh, I'd love to give, but I know. They're going to take advantage. I know they're going to abuse it. They're just using me. It's going to turn into... I understand that. I understand that. Two things on that. First of all, when you give to the needy, to the poor, do so with some prayerful discernment. Does that make sense? Prayerful discernment. In other words, you don't want to get into a place where as you give, now you're just enabling unhealthy things in a person's life. And that's a fine line, is it not? It's a very fine line. So, so as you give, do so with prayerful discernment. Maybe look into it. Do a little research. Understand, you know, what, how should I go about this? What's, what's, what honors God and what actually helps people? Right, because sometimes giving financially to a person, it's not helping. But that's a very fine line. So use some prayerful discernment in that, right? Use some prayerful discernment. Second of all, if, if you're thinking or you have given, you've helped somebody, and they took advantage of you. They, they, you felt like you got used. They, they didn't come back and say thank you. If that's ever happened to you, welcome to Jesus' world. He knows exactly how you feel. 
Luke chapter 17, he heals 10 lepers. One barely comes back. I think the story is he's like, oh, as he walks away, yes. And then I think, I'm, let me go back. Scripture says he praises God and he thanks Jesus. Now, if Jesus was in the big leagues, that's a pretty low percentage of batting average, is it not? So if you've helped, if you've been involved, and you're like, man, I just got used, I got... That's how Jesus understands that. He knows that. So, so we, we need to give, but we need to have some, some careful, discerning prayer in that. Does that make sense? And if you think about this a little bit, you think about... I, I love the, the passage in 1 John three seventeen. If someone has enough money to live well, sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? It's a good question. So let's be people of generosity, right? Let's be generous. Let's be wise, but let's be generous in our generosity. So you're like, Pastor, what, what can I do? What should I do? Well, first of all, Jesus is expected that we give. Do you see that? Say, I see that. It's right there. I didn't make that up. I didn't reword it. I didn't tweak it. Jesus like, when you give. So he's assumed, he assumes we're giving. With that, there's a couple things I would say. You know, if you are connected to a local body of church, a, a local New Testament believing body, give through your church. Give through your church. So, for example, if you're, this is your church home, you're part of our ministry here, you say, hey, that's where I, I, I attend, I, I serve there, I, that's where I get my spiritual leadership and exhortation. We have a benevolence fund here at Discovery Point that when you give to the ministry, we're making sure that that benevolence fund is there and it is specifically to help people who have pressing needs. And folks, your church helps a lot of people. I won't tell you how, what the cost. I won't say any of that. I'm just saying, and I want to be careful with that because now we're back to the right hand and the left hand. It's a little delicate, right? I will just say, this is a body that God has compelled with the value of generosity. And so when you give your tithes and offerings here, just note, we have Benevolence Fund. Our elders oversee that. They keep an eye on that. We, quite frankly, we, we have some guidelines with some of that giving, and so... But our, I, and there's a few elders in the room, I, I think we would say our regard to the Benevolence Fund is, is we always err on the side of generosity. Always. Generosity and grace. And yes, just like you helping and serving others, maybe sometimes that comes back and, and it's not what we thought it would be. But when we give those funds to serve people, and we don't hand out money, by the way, when we give to serve, God gives us the opportunity to do that, we trust that God will do with that in them what needs to be done. So that's one way to give, right, through a local community of faith. Another thing is just personally, like how are you engaging? Maybe there's, uh, maybe there's another uh, ministry that, that God's put on your heart or, or a person that you know well, and you're like, man, I just want to come alongside and encourage them financially and spiritually. So there's a couple ways to do that, and, and that's just that's two that we're about here at Discovery Point. So if this is your church home, thank you for being faithful in that. Our vision uh, over the next couple months is when we have our communion weekends, which is generally the second weekend of every month. We want to start having a couple areas here in the room just for benevolence offerings. And so uh, if you, like, you want to support the benevolence ministry, you can actually give an offering to that. We'll have some type of container where you can go there and give. All of that goes directly to our benevolence ministry. 
So that's one way that, that we can serve and we can help uh, along these lines of helping other people. And by the way, as I close, uh, there have been a couple times I've been on the side that needed it. Maybe you too. There's been those times where I'm not the one that has the opportunity to give. We needed it. You ever been there? Can I tell just a quick story? In 2008 and 2009, if you were a part of the, the thing that was going on here in the, in the area, just generally the, the crash of everything, we just moved into this building. We just bought this building. Boy, great timing. And it was, it was tough. Quite frankly, we had another full-time pastor, and it was, we've started putting resumes out everywhere. We're like, we just can't keep this up. We're not going to make it. The church is, it's going under. We don't have money. Couldn't pay bills. But we had a nice-looking building, brand new, shiny. And it got so crazy that, that the staff, they weren't, we wouldn't get paid for a while. There was no money. I'm like, all right. And this happened more than once, but I'll give you one example. A guy called me, and I've told this before. A guy called me. First of all, a guy came in and said, because the other pastor had to, he, he found another church and it worked out well. So a buddy of mine came in and just said, hey, I'm glad I'm not sticking around here. I'm glad I'm not the pastor. I'm like, well, thanks for the encouragement, brother. He's like, I'm glad I'm not you. I'm like, oh, wow, wonderful. I feel better about my life. A guy called from the church. He called and said, hey, will you meet me at Safeway parking lot in Vistancia? I'm like, well, if we're going to do this, we might as well do it at Safeway parking lot. He says, meet me out there, Pastor. I'm like, well, okay. So I go out there. The guy gets out of his car. We meet, and he hands me a check from his small group to cover Sharon and I's salary for two weeks. Just like that. I mean, we, we didn't, there was no salary coming in. He's like, hey, our small group, we just wanted you to know. We're for you. We're behind you. And we're putting our money where our mouth is. Literally, here's, here's your check for two weeks. So we've been on that, that other side, right? So we just talk about the needy. I'm not, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about us. And we want to be people that serve well and smart with our resources. So just a reminder, in case you're not wondering or you forgot, Jesus assumes we're giving to the needy. Let's put it into action as the opportunity presents itself. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.